And now, Dan Happel's Connecting the Dots. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. I thank my lucky stars to be living here today. Where the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away. The men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. God bless the USA. Ladies and gentlemen, here we go. Thank you so much for joining me this afternoon my time which is four o'clock and it's i think about 10 10 a.m across the pond and uh, i was with you on sunday trying to sit in for our dear friend dan happel who's been presenting this show for many many years and i'm very grateful for thumper being the the hand on on the digital stuff and the technology and doing all the important things in the background one of the wonderful things about give, being given a voice as a platform is that we are able to speak. We are able to express an opinion. And free speech has never been more under attack. In my lifetime, in your lifetime, I never thought that in many ways I would actually live through this kind of period of, of history. The other thing is, is that at the moment, I, at a drop of a hat, seems as though... I'm just going to well up in tears and uh, and bore my eyes out with some of the things that I see going on right now. And that's partly because of the beauty of travel and the beauty of life experience. And I want to tell you about two of those right now because it sets the scene, begins to set the scene of some of the discussions that I hope to be having with my dear guest, and it's a privilege to be able to invite her on. In many ways, it could be a little bit intimidating because I'm actually going to be interviewing a real journalist and not one who's trying to suddenly learn the craft on, on the spot, but I'm very honoured to do that. One of the things about travel, and I have travelled a heck of a lot, I've just come back recently from 12 weeks of uh, touring the United States and seeing friends and attending three conferences, one being the Red Pill Expo, which a number of you will know very well. But I was also at the Parliament of World Religions, which is the centre of the UN push for interfaith, one world government NGO nonsense. And that could be a very, that could be part of our discussion as well this afternoon. Because my guest also has a very, very interesting view and take on the United Nations and what it's been up to for many years and has written about that. 
But in 1986, I found myself in Poland. I was doing voluntary work. I was helping to build a church. I was on a building site in uh, in Rockswap in Poland. And uh, Rockswap is where the um, incredible uh, man Bonhoeffer comes from, the, the person that stood up against Hitler during the Second World War and was eventually hanged by that and was also part of an effort to take Hitler out via a bomb, etc. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer, what a hero. So I was in Poland in 1986, and part of that trip, put my glasses back on, I then found myself in Auschwitz. I found myself in a gas chamber. I found myself visiting Auschwitz, a concentration camp. I was being shown around by an amazing young lady whose father had actually been inside Auschwitz as a, as a prisoner, just for being Jewish. As part of the extermination rhetoric that Hitler had taken on. Now, as a Bible-believing Christian, I do not do not apologize for this, but we are seeing such evil. And as Ephesians 6 says, we do not fight flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. It's a verses I constantly quote. And that is what we saw then during the Second World War. And there are many, many historical references that we may look at in regard to pogroms in Russia. So I stood there in that chamber and... Uh, Afterwards, there was a group of five or six of us. Afterwards, we, we went our own separate ways. We didn't talk to each other for about five or six hours, trying to actually take in what we'd actually seen with our own eyes, which was that people were exterminated and were being taken out just for identifying as being Jewish. In 2014, in my TV and film career, I then found myself being part of making a program, which is something I am extremely proud of till, till today, because of the relationships it built and because of the conversations I had. And I don't say this to show off. I just say that it's a privilege to do. But I found myself um, on a program called Above and Beyond, which was produced, financed by Nancy Spielberg. And the show was about the formation of the Israeli RAF in 19, that then appeared out of the clouds in 1948 and fought for, against Arab nations that had come against once Israel had been declared as a state by Ben-Gurion. And then the rest is history, and these planes came out of the sky to defend themselves against all the other Arab nations. Above and Beyond is a very interesting story. It's also very interesting where you had Second World War pilots and some of those as American Jews who came over to fight and be part of the establishment of that RAF, of the uh, Israeli RAF. What is interesting is how American authorities sought to stop these pilots from actually leaving America to come and be part of that. There were planes smuggled out. There were Spitfires, Smeshersmiths, would you believe, in bits that were smuggled out, were then assembled in uh, Eastern Europe and then flown over to Israel. Part of making the, 
the program at one point was the Star of David, which was sat stuck onto the side of a Smeshersmith, and we were filming seeing a Smeshersmith and the Spitfire go up in the air. There was a line in the in the production of what's a what's a Jewish boy doing in a place like in a situation like this. The irony, isn't it? That was one of my sort of proudest career moments. So I have an affinity in many ways because I've gone out of my way to learn history, look at things, but also that God has given me certain experiences. And uh, I'm very grateful to have been part of that program. I'm also grateful to two dear friends of mine, Gaddy Edelman and Dee Sams, who then had a radio program at the time. And one of the interviews they did was to interview Nancy Spielberg. And I came on for a few minutes to talk to her. And I just want to end this opening by saying that uh, my dear friend Gaddy is, uh, is Jewish. He is leaving at some point and will be going to Israel at this time. Now, I, I admire that. There are many people returning through the incidents, the awful barbarity that we have just witnessed. So I just ask you to hold him in your prayers. What we have witnessed in, in this country, and at some point I will ask Thumper to show a video of the uh, the marches where people throw Palestinian marches has just gone through London, and we're witnessing all of that kind of thing around the world, which I find unbelievably shocking. Last Saturday week at 6 a.m., the atrocities that were put, that came about against Israel, 17 breaches of the fence, and Hamas came over. And at the moment, sadly, we have 1,400 Israeli people that have been murdered. We know women, children, etc. Some of you would have heard about the dreadful atrocities, and in many ways they're too difficult to even talk about. But this is the reality of where, of where we have reached, and it is unbelievably shocking. So I have the privilege now of introducing someone that I've never I've never actually met, but we have communicated digitally, whether that's through Twitter, that's through email. And I am just going to read um, Karen Herodone's bio, and then I'll do a brief introduction. Karen is an anthropologist and a freelance writer. She has a master's degree in anthropology and a postgraduate diploma in journalism. Karen writes on politics, culture wars, and anti-Semitism, and has been writing for the conservative woman since 2016. Born in South Africa, she has lived in Singapore and Canada, and now resides here with a wonderful husband in the UK. I am very honored and blessed to ask Karen now to unmute her microphone and to join us. Karen, it is delightful to have you, um, and thank you so much for joining us. 
Thank you so much. Thank you, Mark. I really appreciate you asking me on and your patience with me. I know it's been a long time coming, so I'm very grateful. Thank you so much. Can you hear me okay? I, I can hear you. Thumper, can we, we can hear Karen, can't we? Yes, we can. Yeah, yes. 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 No, no problem. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, Karen, not at all. We're, you're, bu you're busy. Um, I am. I've just come back from travels and trying to finish a house and and very and various other things. <laughs> and you've you've been you've been uh, working away. But no, thank you, thank you for joining me. And I'm sorry. In in some ways, I'm sorry that we have to have a, a conversation under circumstances that I just find indescribable. To be it's honest, a harrowing ten days in so many ways. I mean, I. I thought I'd seen the worst of anti-Semitism in this country under Corbyn, but my word, what scales it has reached the last 10 days, worldwide as well. I, the, the hatred of Jews has become something that I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. I saw the shoots of it, I saw the beginnings of it under Corbyn. It's always been around, particularly like in the mainstream media, nice academics uh, within government, etc. particularly like with the uh, funding of foreign aid, but we'll come to that. But my word, I have never in the last 10 days seen such universal devotion to the slaughter of Jews. It's the only way I can describe it. It's been abhorrent. And people in the freedom movement who have joined in should be very, very ashamed of themselves. Could you, um, just because we're speaking to an American audience or speaking around the world, but don't worry, could you describe who Jeremy Corbyn is? Could you give a bit of background oh, for him? <laughs> so basically, he was elected Labour leader, I think it was 2015. Uh, he has some very dodgy views about Jews and Israel, very much a friend of Hamas and Hezbollah. Um, and terror, you know, he was elected Labour Party leader. Like in the UK, they're two really big parties, Labour Party and the Conservatives, or the Tories, as Americans might hear them referred to. Um, not much between them, but Labour is a bit more to the left. I'd say Labour's far left, the Tories are left. There's no centre or centre-right left in Parliament anymore. Anyway, um, when Corbyn was elected, it really scared the Jewish community in the, the UK, particularly with the threat of him becoming um, Prime Minister at the end of 2019, of Labour being elected. Um, thankfully, Labour lost the election. It's not so great that we had a Tory government who has proved to be what I call Labour-like greenies. I mean, just yes. very, very bad as well. And they are anti-Semitic on their own ways, which I've documented and written about. But coming back to Labour, I would say very much with Corbyn and his cohorts and, and Momentum, which was a sort of activist group set up to back him up. Uh, their social media war on Jews in Israel, they're, they're threatening together with Islamist societies. And I, I always make a, dif a differentiate between Islam and Islamists. Some people don't, but I do, because there are plenty of Muslim people who don't support the slaughter of Jews, who are truly peaceful. And I think it's very, very unfair to, to label the whole lot of them as Islamists. So I always differentiate. So at universities, you had Islamist societies 
joining up with Labour Party supporters and Marxist societies and these really it was quite revolting to see them jeer and shout at Jewish students. It's been quite horrific. I mean, a lot of Jewish students now on campus don't wear uh, a kippah, you know, yarmulke or a magandor, but any sign of their faith they won't wear because they're so intimidated. I mean, this is just abhorrent in so many ways. So the Labour Party went through that, and it's always a bit of a threat. I mean, uh, Keir Starmer, the, 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 the current Labour Party leader, he, he, took a, he very quickly bowed on to Black Lives Matter, which is a Marxist anti-Semitic group. So I call him Corbyn Light. He is not yes. to be trusted. Mm. Um, so it's always in the background, always kind of gurgling away there, this anti-Semitism, particularly on the left. But my word, did it rear its ugly head over the last two days? And not just on the left. I mean, Corbyn's enjoying a lovely revival amongst the anti-Semites. You know, even by some in the freedom movement, even though Corbyn was especially quiet during lockdown and vaccine mandates, et cetera, you know, he was very complicit in all of this. And then all of a sudden he's been kind of, you know, revived as a hero because he's very anti-Israel. And I would call him an anti-Semite. You know, you, he has shared platforms with Holocaust and I, I've documented this all. So it is something that the ones that have been quietly bubbling under the surface have been enabled by the virulent, disgusting anti-Semitism we've seen in the last 10 days everywhere. No, that's a, that's a, that's a very good uh, uh, summation because would it be fair to say that he had actually invited people from Hezbollah Yes, I mean, he invited members of Hamas into parliament. I mean, this is just disgraceful. It absolutely astounds me that people cannot see that Hamas is a mortal enemy of the West. It's a mortal enemy of Christians. It's a mortal enemy of certain Muslim groups, not just Jews. This, this is a genocidal, jihadist group cut from the same cloth as ISIS and the various other Islamist groups in Africa that are persecuting Christians that I've written on for several years, as we speak right now, there are offshoots of Al-Qaeda, of ISIS, of various Islamist bandits, jihadists, whatever way you want to describe it, persecuting Christians in Africa, slaughtering them. It's horrific. And, and these are the bosom buddies of Hamas. They all have the same kind of dogma and philosophy, and they are mortal enemies of the West. It has absolutely astonished me that with all the information out there, people cannot see this. And it's all backed by Iran, who has sworn to obliterate Israel. Let's not forget, Israel's just not made of Jews. It's made of Christians. It's made of Muslims. It's made of... Christians and Muslims, particularly gay Muslims, who believe the Palestinian territories where they're persecuted for the sanctuary of Israel. It's made of the Baha'i who have their headquarters in Haifa. I mean, this is a true melting pot. So when people talk about obliterating and, and destroying Israel, you're not just talking about destruction of the Jewish state. You're talking about destructions of all the Abrahamic religions and others that find sanctuary there is absolutely abhorrent. Um, and so you have Iran, who's actually the puppet master in all of this, funding Hezbollah, 
funding Hamas, God knows who else they're funding in, in Africa with this war against Christians there, as well as the stupidity of Western governments who give money by foreign aid, our taxpayers' money, billions over the years, to, um, to Iran to Hamas, to the Palestinian Authority, to Fatah, to all these organizations dedicated one way or the other to the eradication of Jews and Israel. And the West, Iran, the Iranian regime, wants to establish a caliphate, a global caliphate. That is their objection. Israel is one of the few countries that they're scared of, as well as the whole kind of Islamist philosophy to destroy all Jews. So it's a multi-stranded ideology of why they want to destroy Israel, multi-stranded reasons. And you have people in the West who are backing this. I mean, it really is a mark of insanity. When, when we look at you say that, we've got people in the West, and I'm, it's interesting because to the right of me, and I'm going to grab it, I've got Melanie Phillips' book, London Starn, here, just on my bookshelf, because I think that is something that we, I would like us to talk about. Because suddenly we've got, uh, as Douglas Murray, who I love him, uh, and what he's saying at the moment is just incredible. As Douglas Murray has said, why have we got retired members of Hamas leadership living in London? What is, um, why indeed? I mean, it may sound a stupid question to ask you. What are your thoughts on that? How have we how have we arrived at this situation? I think there's several reasons for it. First of all, we come back to foreign aid, which has actually got its roots in the UN. The UN, United Nations, the hell of the United Nations, decided that each country should commit a certain amount of its uh, resources to foreign aid. I mean, I've written for years on foreign aid. What, a, what an absolute ruse it is. What a money laundering travesty it is. All that it does is enrich the bank accounts of the worst despots in the world, including Hamas' leadership. Hamas' leaders, they look like billionaires in places like Qatar and uh, Malaysia. I'm not surprised to hear that Hamas is in London. I mean, it's just they are extremely wealthy. They use their own people as pawns in the war against Israel. They siphon off billions from foreign aid sent by our cowardly, demented, lunatic politicians on all parties. It's not just the Tories mm -hmm. of Labour. They've all done it. Um, and they basically have enriched these horrendous regimes so that's the first thing. They've got the money to do it. Mm -hmm. They can go wherever they want. They've got the money to do it. That's the first thing. Oh, yes. The other thing that foreign aid does is it allows civil servants to go on their jollies and enrich as wealthy NGOs as well. It's a total travesty. And we'll come back to it, but it also does the schema called pay for slay, which is just horrific, and we'll come back to that. I think... Um, Immigration in the UK is absolutely ridiculous. And I speak as an immigrant to this country myself. Um, it is in every country. You don't want to go down the Japan route where they have no immigration. You know, human beings are semi-nomadic. Throughout our entire history, we've always moved from one place. I've done that in my lifetime. Many of us do that. But it's about what you contribute to a country, what you give to a country. Multiculturalism has failed. 
what it what works is integration. Now, when I lived in Singapore, that was an eye opener. They practice integration as opposed to multiculturalism. So everyone is everyone from various religions and races all live together in government. There's seventy percent of Singaporeans live in government housing. It's very nice housing, and it's all kind of like a quota: certain amount of Muslims, certain amount of Buddhists, certain amount of Indians, certain amount of Chinese. You know, so you have integration. So there are no ghettos, and that to me was a lot more favorable system of multiculturalism where people are just now in their own ghettos don't bother to learn the language don't bother to integrate um and start to harbor some really horrible ideas about the country that has given them sanctuary the second thing is it's been the most ridiculous thing and i've written about it several times about this fetish over refugees. Now, I'm from Africa. I know what a refugee looks like. A refugee is a child, a woman, an elderly man, too, too old to fight. They are dressed in rags, starving, fleeing war and famine. They are not fit young men in leather jackets holding an iPhone as they come off the shore from Calais to Dover. It has been, you know, where are the women? Where are the children? These are economic migrants, as I once was. As many of us immigrants in this country are economic migrants. Very few are true refugees. Very few are asylum seekers. They are economic migrants. Who can blame them to come to a country for a better life? But they don't come and make it better here. A lot of them come here and cause a lot of trouble, as we saw in the marches in the streets. I'm sorry to say that, but it's the truth. We saw them marching in the streets, calling pain for the blood of Jews. So it's a multi-stranded thing. I mean, you have to always, always ensure that you do acknowledge those immigrants who are Muslim, who make a wonderful contribution to this country. It's very important that we don't generalize the way that these monsters gen generalize about Jews or whatever it is. It's very important. But you have a whole cohort, and God knows how many Islamist terrorists have slipped in under the guise of refugees. No wonder Hamas has got headquarters here. Very easy to get in here. Very easy. Call yourself a refugee, and you have some bleeding heart civil servant who goes, oh, you're 35 years old and a refugee. Don't worry, we'll put you in a school and tell everybody you're 17. Don't worry. I mean, it's insanity. Absolutely. Well, I, I, uh, that, that is interesting you raised that in regard to schools because i just say what happened to me. I mean, I'm an ex-teacher. I used to teach in uh, South London in a pupil referral unit for expelled children. I got attacked by a supposed... Uh, an individual that was from Albania that was supposed to be below 16 years of age. I do not believe that he was below 16 years of age. I asked the child, I asked him not to do something. He carried on doing it. I legally restrained him. He then attacked me and then I put him on the floor. I'll just say that because I released him from my body. The person who got into trouble was me, which is outrage. And I then left. The rest is history. But the key thing is this. You're absolutely right about the age of people. At some point, I need to write about it. And... I wrote about it. Right. I wrote about it a few years ago where it was uncovered that some of them were, some of these refugees were yeah. claimed to be under the age of 18. Because, of course, you can claim a certain amount of benefits if you're a child and you get certain. I mean, it's just, I'm looking at them, it's pretty obvious that they won't. But it's very much, I don't 
know, I think a lot of it is to do with these kind of social media mobs that if you say something that could be seen as racist, you know, mm. you are like thrown to the wolves. The people are scared and for good reason. The police will come knocking at your door if you miss. Mm someone on it's okay you call for the death of jews in the streets of britain but you know misgender somebody and the police will be at your door people are scared i don't blame them but you're absolutely right and this is why this is why history is really important this is why we have to discuss history we have to discuss facts we have to educate people and say well hold on a minute for argument's sake um you know palestine the, the word Palestina, Hadrian changes that in, I think, uh, 135, uh, 135 uh, AD because he was fed up with the Jews because they rebelled against him in 132. I've been doing my research. I've been working on my homework because this is really important. So then in 135, he changes the name, and I, and then it eventually evolves in through the way that we keep la using language to Palestine, which is, I believe, means you've come from the sea. Now, uh, it's not mentioned, you know, and Mark, it's written. Sorry, I apologize. Sorry, Karen. I was so. Say, I'm so glad you mentioned that because there is so much rubbish out there. But I just want to say thank you for mentioning the truth. Carry on. Sorry. No, I, well, bless you, because it, it, someone has said, you know, is the Jewish people, Israel, is 3,000 years old, but 75 years young. That's a lovely way of right? Which I think is an incredible phrase. Yeah. Is actually said by a Muslim man. Which and that's like, like you cannot tar all Muslims together. You can't. Nice. So unfair. There's so yeah. many amazing Palestinian Muslims out there writing in favor of is. I mean, you can't do that. You have to be. You know, you you do need to make that distinction because otherwise you alienate them. No, absolutely right. But it's also this thing of history, and I don't want to tell you something that you don't know. But I want <laughs> I, I want us to have this discussion because also for our for viewers listeners and i say this with great respect because i love i love the state the united states and i'm conscious of what's happening on the texan border right now and i have close friends in in texas and when we're at the and you've just raised it when we're raised we're at the situation where People from Afghanistan are coming over the border. People from Iran are coming over the border. Chad uh, Prather, who's on The Blaze, has, has just done um, uh, a, a quick podcast talking about this. Who is coming in? Well, they're not exactly going to come in for the good of the nation. Well, I'm this, sorry, but we, no, have to, we have to say this. Yeah, and there's amazing yeah. people like Anne van der Steel on the border, uh, Michael Yon on the border, reporting about this all at the moment. So we have to understand there's a long, there's quite a bit of a history lesson. But let's go back to Israel. Let's go back to the fact that my own understanding is that when people say, you know, oh, they have not tried to offer what they're calling the Palestinians their own separate state, that is a complete lie and has been turned down. I believe turned down in 1937, turned down in 1937. It has been turned, 
down uh, in then then the PLO that is created in 1964, Yasser Arafat then turns that down in 1967, and the re so let's just clarify this for everyone. There was a war in 1948 at the founding. All the all the Arab nations around declared war on the state of Israel. People had legally been buying land, etc., and investing for many, many years in the nation. It was not. It was not suddenly the awful events of the Second World War, it wasn't a case of turning around and going, well, we're going to give you this. There was this historical building up to that. Mark. Uh, I, I mean, I'm, sorry, go. No, no, I was going to say my own uh, family was in Israel from like the 1850s, you know, fleeing mm. the Pale of Settlement, fleeing the pogroms there. The Jews have had a continuous presence in the Holy Land for 3,000 years, even yes. though we most of us, you know, were exiled. Yeah. Um, there was always a continuous presence of Jews in the Holy Land um, for 3,000 years. Mm. And what happened is that, I mean, basically, Israel at the time of its creation was literally desert and a mess. Yeah. I mean, it really was, you know, you had people, wealthy Jews, buying up land, etc. What happened? is that in 1948, right after the UN, the only good thing they ever did in its miserable existence was to create the state of Israel. Um, at the moment that all the Arab states declared war, thinking they could defeat Israel, I mean, this Israel was tiny, tiny then, like very few people made up half of, you know, almost one million refugees Oh, well, not one million then, but refugees from the Arab states who had been kicked out in 1948, uh, the Mizrahi refugees, which are never spoken about, we'll come to that. You had Holocaust survivors arriving, starving, ill, and you had, of course, like those who'd been there for centuries, all of them combating together to fight off the surrounding Arab states determined to kill them. What is not known is that a lot of the Arabs were told by these Arab countries, leave Israel. When we've killed all the Jews, then you can come yes. back in. Yes, and absolutely. So thousands and thousands left, stupidly so. Whereas if the Israeli government at the time said, don't leave, stay. We won't hurt you, stay with us. Yeah. But no, they left, thinking that Israel would be obliterated overnight, and therefore creating the so-called Palestinian refugee issue, the beginnings of it. Mm. Uh, self-inflicted ray. And, and so you have from like 1948 onwards, um, which is not spoken about, is the Mizrahi from the Middle Eastern countries, North Africa, Middle Eastern countries, Jewish communities that have been there for centuries, literally kicked out, exiled, pogroms. I wrote about it with my piece with Professor Norman Fenton, where we mentioned one of the pogroms in um Iraq, where Pete the Fahud, where, where Jews were literally slaughtered on the streets, just as we saw in Israel. I mean, this is horrific stuff. Mm. And almost one million refugees over probably a period of 15 years, 1948 by 48 onwards, were forced to leave their homes in our countries because they were Jewish, because of they were seen as now Zionist conspirators, kicked out, exiled, pogroms, and they had nowhere else to go but Israel. And that is, you know, one of the few things that is 
one of the things that's really never mentioned. Um, and you've had Yasser Arafat in the 1960s colluding with the KGB to create the PLO and this whole concept of Palestinian identity. And that is when we saw the UN change from reasonable support to Israel to abhorrent Zionism is racism and one resolution passed after one resolution on the um, on Israel, and that's and that's just never stopped. That's that's accelerated over the decades, and and you have it's a creation of identity, one done by the Soviets to kind of give a black eye to the Americans because of the Cold yeah. War, and yeah. by virtue to Israel, one of America's allies at that time, hopping aboard with Yasser Arafat. He was actually born in Egypt, um, who a virulent anti-Semite, as we know, gladly joining forces with the KGB in Soviet Russia, which treated its own Jews horrifically. Um, so it's all kind of like things that people just don't know. And I don't know why they don't know, because there's so much information out there. I mean, Melanie Phillips, she mentioned that across the border in the US, Hezbollah is crossing. Hezbollah is dealing with drugs in South America. She yeah. pointed this out crossing yeah. over into the border from uh, from South America into the US. The Chinese now have their own agents doing that. Yes. And you're leading yeah. hard liberal twits, don't so go and let them all in. I mean, well, it, 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 you're absolutely right. And it's and it's it's totally it's totally crazy because in the end, once certain atrocities start, which God forbid, then people suddenly think, oh, we've made a huge mistake. Going back, going back to um, Arafat, the KGB. Now, this is this is fascinating to me, because the big discussion that is not had is in regard to the to the left, in regard to socialism, in regard to Ben Gurion going right. Uh, at that time, are we then saying there was a thought of okay, the Russians might have thought. Oh, they're going to establish Israel, and it's going to be quite a communist system. Where actually, the 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 establishment turned around and said, "No, we want to be dem what democratic. We want to be able to elect governments and all the rest." So, what are your thoughts on that and this whole thing of where the kibbutzim fits into this with where Israel is now? What are your What are your thoughts? Well, I think the kibbutz system served its purpose, you know, right up probably, I guess, into the 80s and 90s. Um, it was, in a sense, a socialist system, but it was a democracy. So I would say it's similar, probably now it's, you know, a total democracy, um, even so, even though they're always having one election after the other, it's technically a democracy. Um, but with socialist systems, um, not as much as the UK has. I mean, UK is, well, I don't think there's any democracy left in the UK. But before, for you. For you. That's a subject for, the, that's subject for another, another time. Sure. Another time. The other thing, could yeah. you just clarify the fact that there are Arabs within the Israeli political system? Yes, I mean, this is the whole thing that people are so stupid or they refuse to cross, they do not look. I mean, Israel ha is a democracy. It has enshrined in law equality between sexes, races, religions. You have Arab parties in the Knesset 
who are elected, who are, who are sometimes absolutely horribly anti-Semitic and anti-Israel, but they've been elected by the Arab people living in Israel, and so they are they form part of the Knesset, the Israeli Parliament. You have Arab judges, you have Arab police, you have Arab doctors, you have. Arab professionals, I mean, Israel is a multicultural society. Yes, of course, there will always be a bit of racism here. There's a bit of issues there, a bit of classism there. There's a bit of, you know, stuff between, uh, you know, Sephardic Jews and Ashkenazi Jews. You know, there's always a bit of bits and pieces of conflict. But it's the legislation that counts. I grew up in a country where the legislation was apartheid, where black people were legally not allow the same rights as white people. In Israel, legally, every single human, no matter their, their sexual preferences, no matter whether they're a man or a woman, no matter whether they're Christian, Muslim, Jewish, no matter whether they're black, white, brown, it doesn't matter. Under the law, they are treated equally. And so you have Arab judges rising to the top. You have Arab members of the Knesset. You have Muslim doctors. You, I mean, this is just extraordinary. You have Bedouin doctors. You have Bedouin, you know, farmers. I mean, this is, it's a multicultural society, truly. In the way that a multicultural society, if it's going to work, that is how it should work. It's an integrated society, is the way I should put it, rather than multicultural. Where you have the flat points of issues is the left in Israel. They're as pernicious as the bad as the left in the US and the left in um, in the UK. You have, you know, on the, the West Bank, the issues there, and of course in Gaza. So, but Israel as a whole, as it exists, is a good example of how a society is integrated. I and mean, people are allowed to progress depending on who they are. Just like Martin Luther King said, you know, on their merit rather than the color of their skin. But no, the rest of the anti-Semites out there don't even want to see it. Uh, they have been indoctrinated by propaganda courtesy of the UN, the mainstream media, and the various assorted anti-Semites around. <laughs> it's very, it's interesting when we talk about, when you're talking about refugees in the UN, am I right in saying that within the UN, that of course they've got one refugee department, but they've then got a specialist refugee department for what they would then class as Palestinians. So well, I'm... And... I'm, you know, I'm seeing this total, total prejudice. And, and one of the important things I want to, to have, the reason I wanted to talk to you and have this discussion is to lay out what is going on, to talk, be able to talk about the history and all the rest. So if we come back to the left, right, so we come back to the incredible person of uh, Golda Meir, Oh, yeah. Right. So we look at her story, and there is the American link, of course, because she's someone that um, I think she was born in Kiev, which is very relevant to what's happening now. Right. So she's born in the then what would the traditional capital of of Russia. She then leaves there, or the family, the father leaves there and then goes to America, and she eventually ends up in the great state of Wisconsin, where I have a very dear friend, spent some time there. So she ends up going over there 
And then she ends up moving from America and going to Israel. But what has always fascinated me, and here is a book, here is a book. Ah, amazing. <laughs> yeah, which is what has fascinated me is her relationship with Harold Wilson. So for people talking, for people very kindly listening and watching, I'll just explain who Harold Wilson was. Harold Wilson was a member of the Labour Party. He was prime minister of this country a minimum of two times. He might have even been three times. Now, socialist, very interesting where the this this whole thing over here of the Labour Party's relationship with Russia, relationship with thinking, oh, we we love the the uh, the communist system. We have then the Fabian Society. We have the Webbs who started the London School of Economics and all of this kind of thing, and who turned a blind eye to the gulags, who would not face what was going on, who would not face that people that were in the gulags were loading uh, timber onto ships and all this kind of thing, and they they were being persecuted and they were being put in gulags to then be reprogrammed and all the rest. And the reason why I say that that, that is so relevant is because we would have found, per, of course, persecution of Jewish people within within Russia. Those people would have ended up in those kind of situations. So this political situation. But what is fascinating is Harold Wilson's relationship with Golda Meir because they knew each other. And also kibbutz scene, she worked in the kibbutz, yes. socialist, and the progression of a country. So, right, what am I trying to say in a very long-winded way? <laughs> we, look, we look at how the so-called left is reacting to Israel, but will not look at their historical links. Now, they yeah. also have a very, very uncomfortable link because the first Labour prime minister in this country, Ramsay MacDonald, wanted to lend 35 to 50 million British pounds to Stalin. Wow, I didn't know that. That now, doesn't surprise me. <laughs> now, there is a fantastic book by Giles Udy. Giles Udy, I'm just going to reach and get it. Okay. So, Giles wrote this, Labour and the Gulag. That looks very interesting. Right. Wow. And I, I urge you to get that. I urge other people to look it up. And the reason why this is really, really important is because traditionally there's this whole thing of thinking that the Labour Party grew out of the Methodist Church where actually it then addresses its Fabian links, who are the elite communists, which is Tony Blair's a member, you know, Gordon Brown's a member. That's a discussion in many ways we could go on for hours. Oh, with that. 100%. But, but it's also very, very uncomfortable, and it's very uncomfortable for our American listeners as well. And there is a book here that explains it. I, I'm sitting in my library. I have a, a big big book collection here, which I'm, I'm blessed with, which I one day hopefully read half of them. 
the thing is, is this whole thing of Margaret Sanger, the whole thing of the eugenics movement yeah. coming out of America, yeah, which is where Hitler based that on. Yeah. What am I saying? What I'm saying is, is that we have to go back through history and see what has been going on to then see why we have arrived at where we are today. Yeah. To yeah. turn around and say that the Palestinians, and I'm sorry, I will put my card on the table, no, to a two-state solution, no. The two-state solution was dead in the water the moment it came about. I mean, it was... There was no... How do you negotiate with those who want to kill you? You can't. You don't. The two-state solution was a Western liberal, virtue-signaling, egotistical exercise. That's all it was. You cannot negotiate with those who want to kill you. It should never have come apart. The two-state solution, should it ever happen, would be the end of Israel. Because basically, you would have, on the West Bank, a state dedicated to the eradication of Israel, as we have when Israel gave Gaza back in 2005. Look what happened there. If yeah. you give, you know, if the entire West Bank and that area goes straight out of Israel's hands, I mean, some of it is out of Israel's hands, and look what's going on. Like, you know, in the Palestinian territories on the West Bank, you have Iran. I've written about this for Conservative Women, where Iran lines down. Islamic Jihad, you know, Palestinian Islamist Jihad, Hamas, are all jostling for position in there against Fatah, which is the PLO's military wing, as best way to describe it. Um, or the leaders there, does, you know, whatever way, there's so many different ways to describe it. But there's a whole lot of jostling for position. The West Bank is infested by jihadist groups now, most backed by Iran. Iran has its own kind of history with the PLO as well, backing them too. If you had the two-state solution come into being, you these jihadist groups would be right on Israel's front door right there, right next to Jerusalem, right next to Tel Aviv, right, it would be, it would make the slaughter last Saturday like kids play. It is frightening. Yes. And that's why the two-state solution was dead in the water. And it is only brought out by those vacuous, virtue-signaling dimwits who go, oh, I want peace. I believe in, you know, diplomacy and peace and negotiation. I'm like, do you actually know anything about the history? Do you know how many times Yasser Arafat and his cohorts turned down one peace deal after the other? Because peace was not what they were after. Well, Camp, Camp David was a classic in case, wasn't it? Where oh, you're there for a couple of weeks. And again, I again I say to you, to everyone, I'm not saying any of this to be clever. I am being learning as fast as I can, recapping on things which I think are so, so important. You know what frustrates me, Mark, is those in the freedom movement who I've been writing about recently and who I've been warning about in anti-Semitism for the past two years about yes. this. What frustrates me is that many did their homework when it came to the COVID and climate change scams and yes. the toxic... I can't say it out yeah. too loud. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and basically, they they did their homework. They listened to real experts. They did their mm. research. They, mm. they really, you know, used their critical thinking skills. They didn't listen to the rubbish forecast by the MSN and public bodies. Why? 
Why have they not done the same when it comes to Israel and anti-Semitism? They suddenly believe everything the mainstream media says. They suddenly believe everything the UN and the World Health Organization says on Israel. They suddenly believe kind of all these weird theories going around. The most ridiculous one being, oh, well, now Israel dominates the news headlines so you can't see what else is going on in the world. I'm like, where have you been the last 40 years? Israel always dominates the news headlines. The world is obsessed with it. I mean, it's just, it's kind of like they've lost their critical thinking skills in favor of rape and anti-Semitism. It's very, very worrying. And if those kind of people who use their critical thinking skills when it came to COVID and climate change and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, now refuse to do this and hang on to every word that the BBC or other mainstream media say about Israel and so-called... Oh, you mean, the, you mean the broadcast body that can't even call Hamas terrorists? Oh, exactly. You mean that? You mean that broadcasting I mean body? That. And that's been going on for decades, decades. Ask your listeners to look up the Balen Report, B-A-L-E-N. It's the report that the BBC did on its own anti-Semitic systemic nonsense, basically, and its own systemic anti-Israel bias. I mean, it's full of anti-Semitism, the BBC. It did this own report and it never released it. And I wonder why. You know, it is just abhorrent, the anti-Semitism. This is something I've been writing on for years, is the mainstream media, mm. particularly the yeah. uh, BBC's um, anti-Semitism, anti-Israel bias. All of a sudden, people in the freedom movement who didn't trust a single word, and quite rightly, what the BBC was saying on COVID and climate change, suddenly believe everything they say on Israel. It's quite bizarre to see people do this. I mean, if the BBC see in various governments and civil organizations and supranational organizations like the UN, etc., are going to lie on one thing, chances are they're going to lie on everything else. Yeah, yeah. Because what, what again, is, is just be, be putting a bit of history is that we talk about 1937, a two-state is turned down. But but at, when the Atlee won after the Second World War and Churchill lost the election, he then referred it, of course, to the United Nations, and he would do. So let's just quickly just refer to a bit of history again. We remember, you know, FDR, the big push for the United Nations, which I see as the One World Government leap, um, and a very dear friend of mine, who I'd love to join you with, Alex Newman, who writes for The New American. Um, one of his bosses, who I've had the privilege to interview, Bill Jasper, has been re- was reporting in and out of the UN for 32, 32 33 years. Loads of stuff where it's own. I think oh, this particular channel has been awake. Uh, my dear friend Dan is very much an expert on Agenda 21, Agenda 30, the 17 development goals, where yeah. which was really pushed when I was at the Parliament of World Religions and just seeing all of this. I think you, and I, I want to give, uh, give you a huge compliment. I'm very grateful for what you've been writing in The Conservative Woman. I'm very grateful for what The Conservative Woman has been putting out and the fact that it has absolutely gone against the mainstream narrative of utter lies. And I, I think that needs to be said. I find them incredibly brave, and the writing in there is second to none. And I'm very grateful to what you were put in there, because you raise a very important question. 
How come all these people have been thinking about we're fighting for freedom, we think these clot shots are this, and many people listening to this will totally agree with all of us, would totally agree on that. But how come suddenly, you know, they've all been joining pro-Palestinian marches? Um, I'm just going to ask, Thumper, are you, are you there? Or have you very kindly gone and made yourself a cup of coffee? He might have made himself a uh, It's fine. No, I'm, I'm here. I'm ready. here. Thumper, you're amazing. I just, could you, um, could you show, could we play the, um, the 10 minute clip? And, um, if, uh, uh, Karen, if you do need to take a break, <laughs> go and find a quick <laughs> glass of water. Um, now I, I will, this, this clip, this clip is, from uh, Sky News in Australia, and it's showing the the march in London, and she then interviews. I've forgotten the wonderful pro professor, but he has regularly been on with Peter Whittle and sometimes on GB News. But but Thumper, if we if we could play this clip, I would be very very grateful. It's about ten minutes. Here we go. Guess is a lecturer at the University of Leeds. Dr. Philip Kizzily joins me now. Thank you so much for your time. I want to speak firstly about the protests we have seen around the world. Some of it has been fairly confronting to witness, including this clip from London of a journalist being attacked. I mean, this is truly shocking. Let's have a look at how some Palestinian protesters reacted when they saw this lone man with an Israeli flag. Philip, uh, that's uh, Wahid Beheshti, the man with the Israeli flag. He needed more than a dozen police officers to save him from that mob. If a, if a man with an Israeli flag is enough to incite these people, then what about someone with a, with a kippah or a star of David? Will Jews need to hide signs of their Jewishness in London? Hi, Risa. Um, it's really nice to speak to you. Um, Yes, I, I, I think that's happening now, uh, my Jewish friends. I've got lots of very, very close Jewish friends. Um, they just keep their heads down. Uh, and I'm just looking at this footage um, as we're speaking now, and I, I, I can't believe that this is happening uh, in Britain in 2023, but we've had this all weekend. Uh, we have a problem. We have a problem with... Uh, rabid anti-Semitism. Um, and we have it from a community, a particular community, that we're not really allowed to mention it. You know, this is, we have a large and growing Muslim community in Britain, and there is a large proportion of that community, we're not allowed to say this, but there's a large proportion of that community who are violently anti-Semitic. And you see that, um, that, hatred, naked hatred, naked anti-Semitism being paraded through the streets of London. And it's really quite shocking to see. 
Well, there is a great deal of focus on anti-Semitism when it's from the right. That's called out. It's condemned unequivocally and, and stamped out. But when it comes from the left, when it comes from uh, migrant communities, uh, those who have come from Islamic majority countries, there does seem to be this reluctance to confront it. Yeah, I mean, there used to be um, a, 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 a fair amount of anti-Semitism in, in this country, in, in the UK, in the 1970s, with a political, uh, a small political party called the National Front that gained a little bit of popularity in the mid-1970s. The difference between then and now, and it's a major difference, um, Rita, is that then the um, intelligentsia, the media, uh, academics, the institutions reviled the, the the National Front because they saw them as being far right, which they which they were, and they undoubtedly were, and they reviled them, and rightly so. Now, the the left, it's not just the hard left. I was going to say it's the hard left, but it's not just the hard left. It's the institutional left. It's 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 academics. Um, it's it's the establishment. The establishment is really quiet on this because there is anti-Semitism in the establishment. You know, the poster boy for mm. uh, leftist anti-Semitism is actually Jeremy Corbyn, and Jeremy Corbyn used to be the leader of His Majesty's opposition. Well, he came within a whisker of becoming prime minister. Many expected him to become prime minister. He did get trounced by... Uh, Boris Johnson and the polls, but we have also seen um, over the years uh, many woke corporations who typically love to virtue signal about political and social causes, uh, but they haven't been willing to show their support for Israel over fears of, again, being attacked by the pro-Palestinian brigade. The FA in the UK is a good example of this. They've been criticised for not lighting up the arch at Wembley in the colours of the Israeli flag. Uh, they were very quick to light it up in support of Ukraine at the start of their war with Russia. But, Philip, it seems the FA is fearful that a simple gesture like this that we have seen around the world is going to antagonise people, antagonise some of their fan base. I think what it does, Rita, it just, it just throws into chaos the whole concept the whole idea of anti-racism that everybody's bought into this whole idea of activism we must be activists we must be seen to be anti-racism we are racist we must perform all of these gestures don't forget we had uh, in 2020 we had the world coming to a standstill and everybody taking mm. the knee for a criminal in america george floyd uh, then there was solidarity with uh, with the Ukraine. Okay, fair enough. There is nothing now, and yet we are seeing the kind of racism, the kind of naked hatred on the streets of Britain that we have never seen before. These people have, and the institutions as well, uh, uh, institutions like the FA, they're, they're quick to call out racism in some instances. And these are the kind of people who have been shouting, there are Nazis under the bed. You know, women who want uh, uh, female-only spaces have been called Nazis for wanting female-only spaces. And yet, when there are real Nazi approximations here, people who are calling for the extermination of Jews, which Hamas supporters are doing, 
Uh, everybody is silent. The institutions are silent. Um, and it's and it's scary. I'm scared about the future. I'm worried what's going to happen. Because if the universities in particular, I'm thinking about the university sector, if they can stay silent, okay, after after what's happened, in, what happened last week in Israel, where children were getting murdered, where bodies were being desecrated, spat on in the streets, where women were being gang raped. If that to them is a complex situation, that doesn't seem to be a complex situation to me, that seems to be the simple situation in the world, it's wicked. If that is a complex situation, and they're seeing evil on both sides. I'm not seeing any evil from the from the Israelis. If they're seeing evil on both sides, then there is something deeply wrong with our institutions. Our morality, our world is upside down. Uh, this is what Douglas Murray had, has been warning about and many others. Uh, his book, The Strange Death of Europe, comes to mind right now because uh, the signs were there that some of these really ugly ideas were being tolerated and, and uh, cultivated even in the West. Uh, I've heard overnight there's been a number of uh, Jewish schools that have, uh, that have closed and there's a couple of schools overnight that have been attacked. Uh, Two schools in North London were targeted, vandalised with red paint. Scotland Yard is treating the incidents as hate crimes. Uh, and the attacks are said to have sent shockwaves through London's Jewish community. Um, and, Philip, I do hear that from Jewish people I speak to a lot, that not just London but, but cities like Paris, Brussels, number of cities throughout Europe, they no longer feel safe. They no longer feel that they can be visibly Jewish, wear a Star of David, wear a kippah, without being fearful of being attacked. Yeah, I think it's very revealing. It says an awful lot about our society and what we've been harboring in our society, that one of the first things that is targeted, you know, the, the you know, straight at the top of the list, it's almost, you know, first item of the agenda, nine o'clock on Monday morning, it's schools, it's children. Um, mm. If people aren't absolutely outraged by that, if people aren't motivated into action, if people aren't petitioning the police, if people aren't, you know, campaigning on social media, this, this is the time to campaign about anti-racism. This is the time to think about equality and diversity. You know what? If people talk to me about equality and diversity, okay, if people in the institutions talk to me about equality and diversity, and they have been silent on, on this, which is the nearest thing we've had to national socialism in this country ever, if they are silent on this, then I think that whole agenda is over. That whole expression of ethical value needs to be um, needs to be reappraised. And and I think we are heading that way. I think we're heading to that kind of crisis in this country. But I don't think it's in this just in this country. I think it's in the English speaking world. And as you say, I think it's in Europe as well. We really need to look at ourselves. We really need to take this seriously, extremely seriously, because people are going to die. People are terrified. People are being intimidated. And it's wrong. Um, but thank you. Um, Dr. Phil Kisley, thank you so much for your time. Really do appreciate speaking with thank you. Thank you, sir. At the beginning of that footage, um, that 
where they tried to attack that man is actually in King Charles Street in uh, in London. Not that we see where it is. The reason why I know that is because I was filming in that street last year on a couple of occasions. King Charles Street runs parallel. So there's King Charles Street. Downing Street is over here. Where the cameras, you suddenly saw these what looked like red gates. If you walk through there, you'd end up in uh, in Downing Street. Um, and I may, and there was a group of uh, people when I was there, sitting on the ground, having a very quiet protest about what was going on in Iran. So let's let's put another thing in context, which I thought was quite incredible. Because in Canada, we have seen these pro-Palestinian in in uh, Ottawa, in uh, Montreal. There have been other places, which are maybe in Vancouver, which I can't think of off the top of my head. But I have very, very dear friends uh, in Canada as well. We've just been appalled by this. The thing that I want to draw on, Karen, thinking about what we've been talking about when we talked about the truth of movement, we've talked about the clot shot. I refuse to have the clot shot, right? I'll just say that. Uh, which meant that at one point I couldn't go and see my relatives, which I remember going to a protest, which I'll be named nameless where that was, was at the moment, and someone, to make a point, was wearing a Star of David, you know the analogy and where I'm going with this. Yeah. So how many people, Thumper, thank you for playing that, how many people within that protest had not taken a clot shot, felt excluded from going down the gym, going shopping, going, getting on with their lives, and then suddenly, and I, and I have to say it, that I can also imagine that people you know from that uh, have a from a muslim faith from an islamic faith as well that within that people group there would have been people to say well i'm not going to take this uh, i'm not going to take this vaccine i'm not going to do that right so you see the analogy and i think you make a really a, a brilliant point with how suddenly things have switched and dare i say to my wonderful brothers and sisters in america that i love to bits that Sometimes um, the difference between us is the fact that we will try and be we try and be a little bit calmer in how we react to certain things, right? And and I I love you all. Hear me. It's one of the reasons why you call us British and the stiff upper lip and all that. And we just be a little bit calmer and see it. Well, I'm I can't be calm about what I'm seeing on the streets in this country right now, and the. Philip, who was talking, the professor, uh, speaks a, a heck of a lot of sense and has oh. been for a long time. Um, what is fascinating, isn't it, where he's talking about the institutions, the academic 100%. institutions, 100%. Got, and, and the fact that there has been this programming. We've seen this, to me, this march of left-wing ideology through every single university school. 100%. What, and 
Yeah. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts? <laughs> Quite a few thoughts on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the many reasons I was against lockdown, many reasons why, and I wrote a lot about this, is that lockdown was a form of social engineering. Where there is social engineering, there are societal frictions and eruptions and economic obliteration, as we have seen. Yes. Um, when that happens, anti-Semitism always rises. So it is part and parcel of social engineering via lockdown that has happened. I mean, I include the clock shop, you know, uh, mandates, etc., into that. That's is, the first is, thing. Is that is that the parallel of the collapse of the Weimar Republic, Germany between the first and the second World War? There's a lot of similarity, you know, very and very woke stuff. Our institutions are riddled with the left and wokeness, yeah. woke tyrants, yeah. as I call them. Yeah. I wrote a piece several years ago, uh, a couple of years ago for a conservative woman called The Dehumanization of the Other, which is what I watched happening with people who were against the vax mandates and against lockdown. They were dehumanized by the other, something that I saw in apartheid South Africa, somebody as, something as a Jew I, I know from my history in 1930s Nazi Germany. That is what I witnessed, you know, that is what I witnessed as Africa, that is what I know from, as most Jewish children have had extensive Holocaust education like I did. Um, and I could see the parallels to 1930s Nazi Germany. The other thing, which is extraordinary to me and not in a good way, is that we know that the UN is at the center of all of this. The UN and all its little subsidiaries like the World Health Organization, etc. Yes. Yeah. Iran, Iran is now the 10th largest funder of the World Health Organization. I mentioned that in a recent piece that I wrote. Um, Iran, Iran is. Iran, yes. And they Iran to... is the 10th largest contributor to the World Health Organization. Yes. And they've always is that, been... Is that because... Biden gave them $6 billion. Oh, yeah, and Biden and, and the EU have been funding Iran yeah. and the 25-year deal that it signed a couple of years ago with China. I mean, basically, China and Iran, as I've written, are new best friends. And thanks to the stupidity of NATO and the rest of the Western governments, uh, Russia is now being pushed into the arms of the Chinese and therefore uh, Iran. This is our, these are our new superpowers. Uh, it's quite crazy. But anyway, coming back to the UN, with its history of anti-Semitism that we discussed briefly, we know that they instigated all the lockdowns, that all of it, that lockdown and the mandates, et cetera, were a gateway into agenda 2013, something that I started writing on several years ago. And um, it was just, it, it's a gateway into that. So the UN is the center of all this. And despots like Iran dominate at the UN and its various subsidiaries. And with that comes virulent anti-Semitism. The World Health Organization loves to pass anti-Israel resolutions, like all the uh, UN departments like to do, the subsidiaries like to do. So it's virulently anti-Semitic. Um, the UN, the, Iran is one of the signatories of the pandemic treaty. So, I mean, this is a dangerous thing. So you have people defending Iran in the freedom movement. I mean, this is insane. So this is the thing. It, the UN, dominated by despots and Islamists like Iran and various other dubious powers, have instigated what is really a war on the rest via lockdown, which was a gateway into Agenda 30, which is really a way to take the resources out of the West and into their own bank accounts. You have 
crazy megalomaniacs like Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab who are doing this for their sadistic reasons, as I've written. Um, you know, there's a whole lot of players in this. But basically, you now have people in the free movement who rightly rallied against the UN and Agenda 2030, now believing every single anti-Israel bias trope blood libel that comes from the UN and taking it as the truth. I mean, it's just an aligning themselves with Iran, the 10th largest fund of the World Health Organization, a dominant player at the UN, a signatory of the World, of the World Health Organization's pandemic treaty, an instigator of Agenda 2030, a way to crush the West, best friends with the CCP who exported lockdown propaganda to the West and destroyed our countries for good. So there is all that that is going on. I mean, it's just, I, I want to quickly come back to the whole thing of refugees. This is an essential point. And this is what I've seen as well with anti-Israel stuff over the years. You know, you have real genuine refugees that need help, that do need sanctuary, and they are pushed to the back of the queue by these fat young men in their leather jackets and iPhones, you know, masquerading as refugees. And the real people, the real refugees who need help are left to die. Uh, you have people like the millions of Muslims in concentration camps in China that I've written about. You have the Christians who have been persecuted in Africa that I've written about. These are all forgotten for the world's obsession with Israel and their virulent anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism has been enabled by lockdown, which comes from the UN, which comes from Iran and its, and its best friend, China. I mean, China has been funding anarchist um, organizations in the US. I mean, I've written about this as well. This is a terrible, terrible power. Um, and now, thanks to Biden and the stupidity of the Biden administration and Obama, I mean, Biden is really Obama's puppet. Absolutely. Obama instigated the Iran deal, which really was not about stopping Iran getting the bomb, but about helping Iran get the bomb. Oh, you know, billions have been sent over the years to Iran. Where do people think it gets all its money to arm Hamas and Hezbollah and Palestinian, you know, Islamic Jihad and Lion's Den? Where do they get those arms to line up on the Syrian border? Hezbollah's got hundreds and thousands of rockets lined up on the Syrian border by the Golan Heights. Where do people think Iran got that money from? It's still with China. It's deal with the EU. The EU, I've written about this as well, has circumvented the so-called sanctions that were put on, on, on Iran to buy oil from them. I mean, this is just, these people have blood on their hands. And you have people in the freedom movement, truth movement, whatever way you want to put it, who suddenly in an egotistical thinking that, oh, I know the truth, where they don't know the truth. They get their truth from crazy anti-Semites or the mainstream media or the UN, the same supranational organization that they swore was a mortal enemy. I mean, it's just, and that shows you how much anti-Semitism yeah. can override any critical thinking. And that terrifies me, terrifies me. Well, I think, I think, I think you're right to be terrified. Sadly, I think you're right to be terrified because if we then say that there are only, say, 15 million Jewish people in the whole of the world, Israel at the moment is the size of, I think, New Jersey, if yeah. not the size of Wales, yeah, tiny. Uh, which is tiny. Yeah. Now, 
this so you actually want to commit genocide the the hamas charter says we want to basically obliterate you we want to wipe you out you, you touched, yeah you touched on this at the beginning of our conversation quite rightly they want islamic jihad say we want a caliphate throughout the whole of the world we want a worldwide caliphate and the psychology that we're dealing with we're dealing with a death cult yes it's a genocidal death cult and what starts with the jews never ends with the jews no and no. that's what people don't realize this is not this is not about just some war between israel and the palestinians or anything like that this is a war led by Iran, financed by the West with their stupid foreign aid, which pays for slay, with the Iran deal, which saw billions given by Obama and now Biden to Iran. Um, this is, I mean, the, 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 it's quite extraordinary to watch the ability of people to self-destruct. We saw it over the last few years, people supporting you know, COVID rules that just destroyed their society and their economy. And we're seeing the same thing now with the support for Hamas and Iran. There's so many lies and tropes and blood libels out there, perpetrated by my fellow Jews as well, being very, very stupid here, um, that it's people would far rather believe the worst of us Jews than the truth. And that is what scares me. This, you know, they're saying that what happened in Israel t uh, 10 days ago was the worst atrocity against Jews yes. since the Holocaust. Yes. And you have people in Britain celebrating that. And you have people in our freedom movements, you know, denying that Jews are Jews, saying that it's a false flag thing, They're saying that Mossad did it. I mean, the most crazy blood libel things, the same blood libels that caused the pogroms in the Pale of Settlement. My great-grandparents are also from Kiev. They fled Kiev in 1917 for the sanctuary of England um, after the pogroms there. And it all comes back again to that czarist forgery, the Protocols of the Elder Society, which has always enjoyed great uh, fame in a lot of Islamist countries and amongst, you know, Western antisemites and unfortunately now amongst the freedom movement. You know, the tropes and blood libels from there are exactly the same thing that caused my great-grandparents to flee with nothing on their backs but for their lives. To Britain. I mean, it's just uh, what happened is it was a pogrom. What we're seeing in Britain um, and the thousands paying for Jewish blood is the beginnings of a possible pogrom. Even under the, when I was writing about Corbyn and the anti-Semitism Labour, worried that Corbyn would be uh, elected Labour leader, you know, you know, would be would win uh, the election. I was scared, but I wasn't terrified. I'm terrified now because then I felt that most of Britain were, were against anti-Semitism. Now I feel it swung the other way. The, as, as the professor interviewed, the intelligentsia, the, the academia, the, the institutions, our police, the police took selfies with Hamas supporters. I mean, this is just, we know the police are rubbish anyway. I mean, they bound down to Black Lives Matter. I mean, that says it all, bound down to anti-Semites. You know, our institutions are riddled with woke leftist anti-Semites. 
Well, and all this is a, they cannot protect the Jews, and that's what's worrying me. Well, let's just say that about BLM. There they are kneeling, and we have witnessed, we have witnessed on the back of two young ladies, I think, at one of the marches in London, and also it came out of the Chicago chapter of BLM, where they've got the parachute, a parachute emblem on the back. Oh, yes! To signify, to signify oh. the, the Hamas terrorists that flew over the border um, on these on these gliders. I can't think of the term that they are. I know what they are. Um, but, I mean, I can't. That is that is incredible. And, of course, these people then forget that certain leaders of certain chapters of BLM have made a heck of a lot of money, have uh, bought, some, bought some mansions. We also have to remember at the time of the uh, presidential election of leading up to that in November 2021, where the BLM going on and people giving money to BLM, and there's a website that it seems as though it was diverted to the Democratic Party. Oh, I mean, right. you can't, you can't, we have to remind ourselves of this because you cannot, you cannot make it up. So if we look historically where the Frankfurt School, you know, going over to the States, we look at this Marxist ideology that is infiltrated. And none of the Frankfurt School were Jewish, despite what the anti right. might right. say. None right. were Jewish. None, you know, and that's the whole thing. Like, it, it's it's just, I mean, it, it, it has roots. I mean, for example, some of the, and I wrote about this for conservative women a few years ago, that some of the leaders of Black Lives Matter are trained Marxists. They went to Cuba to be trained by Marxists. They are anti-Semitic to the core. I mean, this is just, uh, when I saw football players and politicians bowing down yes. to Black yeah. Lives Matter, my blood ran cold. What has happened is that anti-Semitism, I discussed about lockdown, how it, it has proliferated anti-Semitism, like social engineering. But what has happened is anti-Semitism has been legitimized. And that is what people should be scared about. And it's been enabled and, and legitimized. It's, you know, I wrote a piece for Conservative Women a few years ago saying that, you know, charging anti-Semitism makes you a racist, you know? That yeah. if, you, if you protested anti-Semitism, you were suddenly called a racist. You know, yeah. there's a similar thing here now, that, like, if you protest uh, what's happened in Israel, suddenly you are, you know, a racist, you know, oppressor. It's just extraordinary to watch the world literally delude well, itself. Absolutely, because let's put it in context, because that 10-minute video raised the fact that there were two Jewish schools that were basically saying, we're advising our pupils not to wear blazers, not to wear anything that draws attention to their faith. And in fact, it might have been ended up being four schools um, that that were doing this. The fact that Philip in that says that my Jewish friends are are very, very concerned about that. The, I mean, I cannot... I mean, I've got a copy of Anne Frank's diary behind me. It's as though suddenly we have just suddenly gone... We've suddenly gone there. We've gone back to... Uh, Corrie Ten Boone and, and, and her talking about what she had been through and suffered in the concentration camp as well. And I cannot, cannot believe it on one hand. However, if we take this and we look back at 9-11, the UK is a very, very different country to what it was 
in yeah. 2001. And let's just be honest and put the cards on the table. When 9-11 happened, there were people in Islamic yes. countries, Palestine, yes. celebrating. celebrating. They were celebrating that as much as that has been denied and even, oh, you know, the pres President President Trump, President 45, even saying that there were people celebrating this and they're going, oh, no, no, no. In they the were. territories and in Gaza, they were celebrating. I remember yes. Mary Beard saying Americans got what they, they deserved. I was horrified. You know, it's, it is a terrible, terrible thing to revel in another human being's death, even if you see that human being as an enemy, that human being is someone's child. Uh, you to, I mean, to revel. That's why you will never see me, you know, say flatten Gaza or anything like that. Yeah. I say root out Hamas. We have to, but yeah. I take no joy. I, I mean, I don't have my sympathies for the Palestinians are dwindling because of their you know, the ongoing support for Hamas and the celebrations in the street for what the pogrom that was done. But I still take no joy in, I would not call many of them innocent, but I would still take no joy in seeing any of them killed. To actually rejoice that somebody has been murdered or killed, just killed because of war is a heinous thing. A no, heinous and I, 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 I agree because the other, I mean, I think I'd I'd like us to talk about this and unpack this because you quite rightly have said the amount of money that the UN is given, the amount of money that the EU is given, the amount of money other countries are given, America, whether it's USA going in, etc. So with the amount of money going in, it should look like um can on sea. It should look like uh it should be a beautiful place to be. It should be referring back to um I'm just trying to think. Beirut at one point. Yes, apparently one of the best cigars has apparently got one of the best surfing conditions in the world. But what it's... happened in 2005 when it was handed back from um, Israel to to the, the Palestinians, Hamas was elected straight away. Very interesting, both Hamas and the PLO, you know, have never held <laughs> elections again. I mean, they are just so anti-democratic, it's not even funny. Um, and you know, Israel left fantastic infrastructure in Gaza, beautiful uh, glass houses, you know, to, to grow plants. And, you know, it was totally demolished and, told, and turned into a war zone. And what Hamas does is it uses its own people as human shields. That is why you have a lot of, so you know, civilians killed when there is war in Gaza, because Hamas uses them as human shields. They have... You know, Israel protects its children. Hamas uses their children as human shields. It's just, it's a genocidal death cult. You also have the UN agency, UNRWA, which you mentioned earlier, the yes. agency dedicated to uh, Palestinian refugees. I've really discussed that's a misnomer, but anyway, um, that, that them themselves give sanctuary to Hamas in their schools and hospitals, creating another human shields um, uh, situation. I mean, this is a genocidal death cult that will kill its own people or line up its own people to be killed. This, as uh, Colonel Richard Kepman said, the Israeli army is the, one of the most humane in the world. And I'm not just saying this because I'm Jewish. I criticize Israel over the lockdown and the vax mandates. I will criticize when necessary. Well, in fact, let's just be, yeah, let's just be honest. It seems as though Israel was turned into a fight. Yeah, talk about shooting yourself in the foot. I mean, yeah. you know, it was so stupid.
Mm. Um, and it, I wrote a piece for conservative women saying, you know, Netanyahu, now his big mistake was caving into the COVID cult, yeah. you know, and that weakened it, that weakened Israel. Yeah, I said it in my pieces on Israel that they're caving into lockdown and vax mandates would weaken it. And it did. It totally weakened it. But that's just another story for another day. Um, but I would say that it is a very humane army. And what do you do when you have on your border a genocidal death cult determined to slaughter every single Jew on the planet? And what do you do that lined up on your northern border is Hezbollah financed by Iran with millions of pounds or dollars, with hundreds and thousands of rockets ready to launch into Israel at any given moment? What do you do? What are you supposed to do? Just lie down and take it because some people in the West find war unpalatable. Yeah, it's very interesting in the Bible, both, you know, Old Testament um, and maybe the New, I'm not 100% sure, but in the Old Testament, they're not against war. It's, it's, there's nothing evil about war. What is evil is the genocidal killing of others, which we, which unfortunately has happened to my people a few times now. You know, Spanish Inquisition, pair of set pogroms, um, which wasn't genocide, but it was pogroms, um, and ten days ago. Well, let's uh, let's um, let's just. I mean, last Saturday week. Israel didn't start that. Hamas no, attacked Israel. Not. We're looking at, as I said earlier, we'll look sadly. I mean, I don't want to report that. I don't want to say this. We're looking at, sadly, at 1,400 deaths and climbing, right? Yes, now, with all the, I think, 139 hostages of, of different nationalities around oh, the world. That's well, a very important point to make, that it's not yes. just Israelis. Who are, who are Jewish. Yeah. Now, that has gone on. We've seen heart-rending stuff. So then within 48 hours, you then had Israel has to show restraint. Israel that has to show restraint. That nuts. Because basically yeah. what you're saying is Israel must lay down its weapons and allow its citizens to be massacred. That's right. Every time. This is what annoyed me with Ukraine and Russia. That, you know, instead of the world going, and this is UN-led as well, um, instead of them going, you know, let's create a diplomatic solution between Russia and Ukraine, it was like all-out war in Ukraine, you know, let's go for it. Whereas every time Israel has to defend itself, it's always talked about restraint and, you know, proportionate response, which is code word for, don't you dare have the temerity to defend yourselves. Let her must slaughter you. We don't care. I mean, the, the hypocrisy is obvious to me and no more than the world... Well, the, the, the Ukraine and Russia. Absolutely. And the hypocrisy within the UK is appalling because we then have Boris Johnson going over to Zelensky going, how dare you negotiate with Putin when there was a deal on the table within the last few weeks. And again, that is another uh, situation where people do not understand the history. Yeah. If the, um, even little things like Kiev was the capital of, of, of Russia. You know what scared me, Mark? Is, and that's when I noticed that people have just literally lost any way of critical thinking was when the whole Ukraine-Russia war started. And if you remember, like in 2014, 
when the whole where there was that thing between Russia and Ukraine, there was a lot of stuff uh, written about the neo Nazis of Ukraine. Yes. Now I am no Putin fan, and I am no Zelensky fan. I've written about this in Conservative Women. I've written about both on either Friends of Israel. Both uh, do not are quite heinous to me. Both you know, uh, both regimes are not great. Um, but Russia is perhaps marginally a bit uh, better. And Russia, I mean, this is where Israel was incredibly stupid to go with the whole war drum thing with Ukraine. One thing that they didn't do, thank God, is send Iron Dome technology to Ukraine because there are suspicions that weapons being supplied to the neo-Nazi battalions, the Azov battalions, have been used mm. by Hamas to kill Jews. Um, but Israel's really stupid because there's an uneasy truce between Russia and Israel on the Syrian border. So one of the reasons why Hezbollah hasn't yet, until this week, fired rockets into Israel is because Russia's been holding them back. But now Russia has moved into an allied thing with China and Iran, and I can't blame it off the way the West and NATO treated it. Um, and the ridiculous warmongering over Ukraine, which was, and the fact that you were never, suddenly you weren't allowed to mention the neo-Nazis of Ukraine, otherwise you were seen as the Azov Battalion, Stephen Banderas, all of this history, the fact that they'd committed exactly. more, <laughs> worse crimes than, worse crimes than the, you know, than, the than Nazis, the, yes. Yeah. I mean, they were just as bad as the Nazis. There's a terrible history there. And it's, and it, and not even just the history. I mean, the Azov Battalion is a horrible element of neo-narcissism and racism that runs through Ukraine. And I see people flying Ukraine flag on their on their front doors. It was very weird to me. I, 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 uh, I agree. And what's yeah. fascinating, I've then found out recently that at the end of the Second World War, we had 8,000, it looks like, ex-members of the Nazi WAF and SS even come into the UK There's as shot. ex. Oh. Yeah. Now, there are two, someone's done a wonderful documentary, which I'll have to find and send you on that. And there are two sort of plaques talking about that in two parts of the UK. I'll send you an email and say where they are. But, but so it's not just Canada that does that. I mean, the, the, the problem is, I'm not excusing it, but some of the Second World War history is extremely murky because... You then had, we then had Russians going over to fight with the Nazis to fight against Stalin. And then we have this interesting discussion, Nazi, National Socialist Workers' Party. The clue is in the word socialist. We then had communism, socialism leading to communism. It's this whole definition of of the the means of production, whether it looks so obvious that the state are owning it, where actually private companies are owning it, but the private companies are member of the Nazi party, for argument's sake. Then, and I, I have discussed this, and it, it'd be a, I want to continue this discussion. It's like, you know, when we look at IG Farben defending the pharmaceutical pharmaceutical company of Germany, this whole evil, you then have a practice on a people group and exterminate six million, and then you are going to now go, ah, brilliant, now we're going for the whole world. It yeah. is it is this. It is the it's same. Awesome. 
It's the same ideology. And that's why I wrote in December for Conservative Women, the new Nazis are on the march. Because to me, it's the same ideology, the same heinous genocidal thing. But what people are making a mistake is they're trying to conflict what's happening in Israel with what our overlords, the new Nazis, are doing via Agenda 2030 and the lockdowns and the vax, etc. The only connection is, as I refer to, is that lockdown increased anti-Semitism. So these monsters are no friends of us Jews. Um, but there's no other connection. It's not to kind of money launder or suck money out of the West. And none of it. it. This has been going on for decades. People need to learn this. They need to know their history, as you rightly point out. The other thing that's very important to point out, which I also wrote about recently, is that USA to Israel, it's not just charitable stuff like, you know, like the UK gives to all these despots in the developing world. What it is, is that it's a deal that most of the so-called aid that is given to Israel by the US it's basically a credit system that Israel is forced to buy their weapons from American manufacturers. So it's, you know, it enriches the American economy. I have no problem with that. But calling it aid is a misnomer. It's a credit agreement. Uh, is it, and, then on the other, and then on the other side, have we then got Russia supplying certain weapons to certain uh, Middle Eastern companies, well, countries, you know, even I, though we know... America has done the same, but yes. sorry. I mean, this is the thing. The West has been so stupid with Russia. I mean, it's just extraordinary. You know, Russia makes a far better friend than an enemy. And now we are being led by demented idiots, seriously. Mm. NATO, but the problem with NATO is how the bit is uh, dominated by Eastern European countries who have a grudge against Russia because of the history of, of Soviet Russia. So there's all these things at play. Um, and basically, we now have a formidable enemy, Russia, which we had, if we'd had sensible people leading us, we might have had a better friend who would not have been pushed into the arms of the Chinese and Iran. That is why Russia's gone all a bit anti-Israel now, because, you know, it's it's now singing the same hymn sheet as its new best friends. Um, I read today that um, I think it's a plane from with ornaments or some or Hezbollah plane has now landed in Russia. I don't know whether it's to be refueled or be given arms. It's the first time it's ever happened. The West needs to bear blame for this. Our governments need to bear blame for this. Um, they have been incredibly stupid, as we know. They've been very, very stupid over the last years, but particularly now. What goes on in Israel, the war there, it's nothing to do with Agenda 2030, like the war in Ukraine. As I personally yes. think the war in Ukraine has been, you know, inflamed because that, and the sanctions on Russia has increased food uh, prices and energy prices, which pushes people into penury, which makes them more reliant on the state, which makes digital slavery, which is part of Agenda 2030, nothing to do with the war are you, in Israel. Are you, are you referring to the Ukraine being the breadbasket? It was the breadbasket. Yeah, and, now, and also the fact I'm referring really to the sanctions that were put on Russia because of Ukraine, which right. is the most stupid own goal I've ever seen in my life, because what mm. it's done is that it's impoverished the West even more, and it's brought us one step closer to digital slavery, because people can't afford food, can't afford um, yes. to heat them, so they're more reliant yes. on the state, and if you're yes. reliant on the state for survival, you will do exactly what the state tells you, which is all a part of the whole thing in March. Uh, absolutely, <laughs> and and that is, that is an anathema to our American brothers and sisters because of the, the Constitution, because of 
we want small government, we don't want government exactly. interfering in our lives. What's happening in Israel has nothing to do with that. And people trying to conflate the two really don't know their history and need to educate themselves. What is happening in, his, in Israel is being a long time coming and is being proliferated and accelerated by Obama and the Democrats, who are very gandhist, or something I've written about over and over again, as well as cowardly Western governments like our own and like the EU have pallied up to Iran, who the, our own government in the form of uh, foreign aid have enriched Iran, enriched the PLO, enriched Hamas. We're in so much trouble and people don't even realize. Well, if, if we then quit, I think I mentioned this on Sunday, and you can correct me on this, if we quickly go back to Iranian history, we look at the fact that the... The, I think the Dutch Shell Oil Company at that time uh, was not happy with the fact that the then uh, people running Iran basically wanted to nationalize, I think, the oil company at that time. They then overthrow the, the CIA, are then floating around, then overthrow. The Shah comes in, and then look at that. We then get rid of the Shah in 79, but we bring in Ayatollah Khomeini, who was sitting sitting in Paris. You know, the whole thing of Zablinsky being in being part of the uh, Jimmy Carter, this whole thing oh, of the Carter notoriously anti-Israel. Sorry? Carter is notoriously anti-Israel. Right, right. Yeah. And this whole thing of of this geopolitical chess playing, yeah. which is absolutely Wrong, and I, I make no, I make no apologies for this. We are at a time. This is a war between good and evil. I agree one hundred percent. I've said it's three and a half years ago. I said this is a spiritual war, yeah. and evil. I mean, us Jews don't believe in the devil or anything like that, but we believe that humans are capable of great mm. evil. And what I have seen, particularly over the last three and a half years, one hundred percent. I mean, people make me laugh. They all go, "Oh, you know." Uh, and not in a good way. They all go like, oh, well, you know, I'm if I I would have been like, you know, people who rescued Anne Frank and her family, I would have done that. I'm like, oh, really? There you were on your telephone reporting your neighbor for going out twice a day during lockdown instead of mm. once. You know? mm. I mean, you know, people have shown their true colors. You know, very few mm. would have been, you know, hiding Jews uh, <coughs> during the 1940s in Nazi Germany. Or you're a, you're absolutely, you're absolutely and right. And thank you. And again, now people who who are kind of stood up to the tyranny, the medical tyranny, are all you know have now many have revealed themselves to be horrific anti-Semites, and they wouldn't have been hiding Jews either. I mean, this is just the, that they cannot see that they're behaving just like the Nazis that they criticize, that they're behaving just like what I called, I termed the new Nazis, mm. that they criticize. They're doing exactly the same when it comes to Jews and Israel, and it's disgusting. Well, if, if we we look at, um, and we're in, I'm just, just checking my, we're in the sort of last 10 minutes. Um, I, I mean, this discussion has just been fantastic for me, and I wanna, I wanna be able to continue because <laughs> there is so much going on. Because I, one of the privileges about of us being on an American platform, I personally believe in this in trying to educate. I'm, I'm not. It's not about dumbing down. I'm asking everyone to come up grab books, read things, learn about what's going on, because this history is so, so important. Because let's remind ourselves something. If people really cared, why do they not say to all the people 
that they are that all these Palestinians. Why not say, well, just go into Egypt now, go into Jordan now? I know Jordan's got. Jordan won't take them. Jordan, well, no. Jordan uses no. them as pawns. Jordan is a hideous regime. You know, it kills me every time our delightful royal family visits Jordan. I mean, they, they give sucker, they give sanctuary to some of the worst terrorists that ever set foot on Israel's soil. Yeah. Well, the, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, when we quickly touch on the royal family, if you've then got Prince oh, Prince sad. William, where one of his, his advisors is J- Jacinda Ardern, then do me a favour. I mean, I have, oh, to, I have to say that. Yeah, but the other the other thing, just quickly, if we then look at NATO history, yeah. you know, in ninety one we promised the Russians we would not expand NATO. We promised that. Then this is also the ramifications of that. If we then, I was quickly touched this on with my incredible guest on Sunday night, which is Julia Engel, um, and I said to her then, you know, in two thousand and nine, the Georgia war for for a week happened because they were then going to be on a list to then join NATO. This is what they were then preferential in regard to the Ukraine as well. The There is a book, uh, Union with Britain Now, written in 1946, where it begins to lay out the history of NATO. We look at the geopolitical powers. Now, I do not blame my American brothers and sisters for this, because when Eisenhower said, you know, it's the mili- we have to be careful of our military industrial complex, a dear friend of mine, Kevin Ship, said he left out one word, which was the military industrial congressional complex. Think about that, everybody. And we think about that disgusting behavior from Lindsey Graham, who personally, you know, kept going in and out of the Ukraine, speaking to Ukrainian fighters, a total warmonger. There, of course, are others, Victoria Newland, these oh, neocons. Yes. And as uh, Juliet reminded me on Sunday night, and Lara Logan's talked about this. There are bio. There have been bio labs in the Ukraine. There has no. been gain of function stuff going on in the Ukraine to then say, right, if we then get this right, and she talked about scientists. Uh, sorry, big pharma groups, companies taking the DNA of of uh, Ukrainians or in in the Russian, in the east part of the country, Russian speaking, taking DNA to their, so what's that? Then their, their, their excuse was, well, they've got wonderful skin, we're going to create a new cosmetic range. Well, the other nefarious thing is we'll work out how we can do genocide and wipe off people groups again from a Slavic background. Let's just throw this out there. This is totally and utterly evil so karen in the last in the last um in the last minute or two um israel is gonna the idf is gonna have to go in the pr war the pr war is going to be appalling we know it's ramping up already it's already started i mean we can hear the sound bites of you know oh, the two-state solution and the proportional response already from the dimwits that rule us so they, they are going to have to they are going to have to they're going to have to go in these tunnels yeah. uh i can't even contemplate that 
I can't. I mean, confined, confined spaces. How, how is this going to play out, Karen? What's your opinion? I think it's. Um, I think we're going to have our usual suspects screaming and marching in the streets. I think um, Israel has no choice. This is a matter of survival. Yes. And don't forget that most of us have family or friends or both in Israel. I mean, my great uh, nephew, his wife, and their two babies are in Israel. Wow. I have friends wow. in Israel, I have cousins in Israel, um, who have all been, you know, people that I know have been drafted back into the idea. This is like, this is a matter of survival. Um, I think Israel will probably have to go into Gaza, this, uh, either to rescue the hostages or to root out Hamas. There is no way that, because if they do not root out Hamas and demolish Hamas and finish Hamas for good, mm. this will happen again. Mm. There's no, you know, and the problem is one of the reasons why um, Israel was taken by surprise is because it was just, one, it was a Jewish holiday. Two, they've been weakened by lockdown. Three, the amount of money that Iran has, thanks to the West and China, um, with the armaments and the weapons given to Hamas. And, have, and they and the, the government and intelligence sources underestimated Hamas. This is why they have to. Hamas has been very clever, and they've got a lot of money and a lot of backing from the West in terms of money, as we've discussed, and from Iran. They need to be rooted out. And if they're not rooted out and not destroyed and not given a bloody nose that will last, uh, then we'll do this again. And then we have the threat of Hezbollah on the northern borders of Israel, um, where they've already started. So it's a, it's a very, very dangerous time. And it's a dangerous time for Jews and diaspora as well. Um, because of what we've seen, and God forbid, if Israel is, God forbid, destroyed, it's the end of the Jews and the diaspora, because yeah. the governments are not offering, the police are not offering, and what I have seen over the last 10 days, most of the people living around me are not offering either. It is a, it's a terrifying time. It's an evil time. Karen, I, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being my guest today, and thank you but for so much for a discussion, which I know, frankly, I could sit here for hours having <laughs> having this conversation with you, which I think is really, really important. We're not, I'm not asking people to agree with everything I we say. Very, very nicely, people are, are giving us the privilege of listening, and I ask them to go and do the research because we're all fa we are facing the similar things on this side of the pond and on that side of the Very pond, much so. and Very we, much we so. are we are facing that. Um, I'll talk about the American Gulag Chronicles in two seconds. Karen, where can people find you? Where can they follow your work? Um. On Conservative Women, I also have my own Substack account, and I'm on Twitter, Karen H777. Just or if you just type my name into Google, um, my Twitter account should come up. My account on Conservative Women should come up, and always with the stuff I write for Conservative Women, my Twitter handle is there. So that's how. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, you will be. You're just. I'll just tell you about this book. I sit on a board, privileged to sit on a board of the American Gulag Chronicles. This book is a coffee table book. It was created to raise money for people that have been arrested and accused of uh, absolute lies in regard to Jan 6. They've been arresting patriots. And this book um, was created 
um, and to raise money to try and help the people that have been put in prison, their families, etc. Um, there are, again, a, a lot of links because freedom fighters involved involved here. So I just say to everybody, if you still haven't bought your book, please buy it. There's going to be another book coming out. There'll be two books as well. And it's letters of prisoners from prison. And the play is to Alexander Solzhenitsyn's, Ameri you know, um, Gulag, uh, the, the Gulag Archipelago. And that's why it's called the American Gulag Chronicles, because we now have gulags in America. And when you actually give a sentence to uh, Enrico Torres, who was leader of the Proud Boys, and he wasn't even in Washington, D.C., and they are not who people portray people to be, then this is an outrage. And that's one of my dear friends, David Summerall, on screen of StopHate.com, who's been uh, at this for 32 years, who started StopHate.com after the L.A. riots and is literally trying to stop hate and reach over to the other side. Um, things are things are are complex at times, but not in a way that people maybe actually think. So we have he has done this for many years where he has face down Antifa, face down BLM, etc. And um and uh Mr. Farrakhan as well. But also then having some interesting discussions on the other side to say, well, this is the reality and what's, go and, and what's going on. So um, David is a very close friend of mine. I've known him uh, since 2019. So I have the privilege to sit on that. That's what that book is about. So I just want to thank you again. I want, if, if, uh, if it's okay with you when I'm next guest hosting or doing something else, I would love to be able to invite you back on because <laughs> it, because this this these discussions are really, really important. We didn't it'd be lovely to look at Golda Mayer, look at the history of how Israel has politically evolved okay. and why why, you know, you had a forty-eight, fifty-six 67 and 73, these wars have not been started. And of course, the awful thing about what happened 10 days ago was the 50th anniversary, I believe, of the Yom Kippur War. It had a lot of, it felt like a Yom Kippur War to me. Yes. It had a lot of resonance there, but worse in a way. Oh, and that, that was the deliberate decision of why to choose that day. As someone has said, greater than me, said, that now, again, there's an imprint in the mindset of, of Jewish people to say, oh, we've got a holiday. Actually, we now have to remember this yeah. awful event. Yeah. It was Sunhas Torah, another Jewish holiday, and it was, and, and that is also why Israel was taken by surprise, because mm. most people, a lot of people were in the synagogues or, you know, relaxing at home or whatever. It was a Jewish yeah. holiday, yes. just like yeah. the Yom Kippur War. You know, it just, people were just taken by complete surprise. But this is worse from the reasons we've discussed. But you're absolutely right where people are are going to serve in the IDF. There are people flying in from all over the world. I wish I could, Mark, if I was I younger. Hear I hear you. I hear you. Well, I'll tell you, tell you something. I, someone sent me an email, a dear friend in Australia sent me an email 
where there is an 84-year-old who is a retired ex-military of the IDF who is now uh, riding shotgun in a 4x4 to help oh, his fellow yeah. Jews. I mean, that, that I found incredibly moving and also knowing, you know, a friend of mine who is who is uh, flying over. This is um this has become even more personal for me because as I say, um I don't I don't apologize for this because it is a fight between uh between good and evil and uh I know I am and many others we are praying for Israel. We're praying for what's happening at this at this particular time. And I, as I say, I just ask people to look at history and yeah, to so. just step back, step back a little bit before we conspiracy theories and educate yourselves. You know, yeah. use your yeah. critical thinking. Not yeah. everything is tied up to Agenda Twenty Thirty. This is far. To be quite frank, this is far worse because this is now an, an immediate threat to civilization. Because once they finish with us Jews, they're coming for the rest of. Well, and I and I and I and the other thing I'd say, you know, as as a follower of Christ, Jesus, Jewish. Yeah. So there is there is uh, this is what I'm saying. This is this is this is the link here. No. We will then we'll then go go for you next. I hear And you. it will come for the Muslims who are not part of their cult either, as they've done in the Middle East before. You know, if you're not part of that genocidal cult, they'll come for you too, even though you're Muslim. Mm -hmm. And it's just this is the urgent threat right now that we face. And the amount of people cheering on the slaughter of Jews is something I thought I'd seen it all. I thought from everything that I've written over the years, I'd seen yeah. it all. I've never seen such evil as I have in the last 10 days. So much evil. And on social media, on Twitter. I, 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 first time ever, I actually had to limit my replies on Twitter because I could actually... Okay. It was literally traumatizing to see such evil, such hatred. Karen, I'm really sorry. We've got to round up because the next show is waiting. Thank, thank you so you. much for having me on. <laughs> well, not at all. Th thank you. Um, to the next show, I do apologise. Thumper, thank you very much indeed for all, all your help today and everyone for listening, viewing. Thank you very much for joining us and I will be back. We will be back soon. Thank you. God bless. From the lakes of Minnesota To the hills of Tennessee Across the plains of Texas Oh, from sea to shining sea From Detroit down to Houston And New York to L.A. Where there's pride in every American heart And it's time we stand in